We're in Romans 15, verses 22 through 33. Follow as long as I read. Oh my. Uh, That is why I have been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I no longer have any work to do in these provinces, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you. Whenever I travel to Spain, for I hope to see you when I pass through and be assisted by you for my journey there. Once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Right now I am traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to the Jews in material needs. So when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I appeal to you, brothers, through our Lord Jesus Christ, that through the love of the Spirit, to join with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, and the gift that I am bringing to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, come this evening, we thank you for your love, for your care, um, for the story of Paul's life. Uh, We recognize, Lord, that uh, not everyone's a Paul. Uh, But as we see the things that are important to him, as revealed by the Holy Spirit in his letters to each of the churches, we see the things that are important to you. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds to receive the things that you have for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, I'm going to be drinking water, sucking on a cough drop, and we'll get through this. I just may have to take a couple laps of breathing from time to time. Okay, uh, so notice uh, characteristics of the one ministering according to the will of God. Uh, since I've been a believer, uh, went to Bible college, uh, learned all uh, a lot of things about uh, being a pastor and all that kind of stuff, get back into the church, and the general attitude of a lot of people is very Catholic in its understanding of the ministry. Um, the, the guy that's at the pulpit, uh, is somehow holier, uh, than everybody else. And God could only use him, uh, to do this or that. Now you might not say that that's your understanding, but that is even in evangelical churches, a summation of what a lot of people think of pastors. Okay. Uh, one of the reasons why I don't like the those ideas is, well, first of all, they're not biblical. <laughs> uh, second of all, I have never fit the pattern of somehow being holier than anybody else. Um, one of the things I've struggled with over the years is uh, this idea that, do I qualify? Well, I go to the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, and I um, can't find one that says, yep, you don't qualify. And then as I study those qualifications as individuals, I find that, oh, every Christian is supposed to be all of these things. 
And so when he says that a bishop must be, or an uh, elder must be, he's basically saying, we're all supposed to be this, but if a guy's going to be a pastor, he definitely has to meet that bill. So not holier than you, but definitely meeting the qualifications. And then as far as him being the only one that could do it, I, I think that idea probably comes from, uh, well, it was the disciples, it was the apostles. And uh, we kind of forget about Philip, Stephen. Uh, those guys were deacons. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of them, in being filled with the Holy Spirit, was wise beyond all of the guys that were religious leaders of his day. Uh, let me see. Philip, not only could he run track and race chariots, uh, that was just to catch up to him. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, uh, according to uh, Acts chapter 8, he actually did miracles in uh, Samaria. Uh, so here's a guy that, in essence, reaches an area and then calls down to Jerusalem and says, hey guys, you know, we had something really good going up here, but uh, you know, I'm only a deacon, so you want to come up here and check this thing out. And so Peter goes up there, and sure enough, there, something has gone on. And uh, so w- when we think about ministering according to the will of God, what we're going to see in this passage is uh, a variety of characteristics that can be true about any one of us. Okay? Now, when we talk about ministering according to the will of God, we're talking about God using you, your personality, your giftings, your abilities, not you trying to be like someone else. Okay? So uh, notice letter A. Uh, One of the first characteristics about the one who's ministering according to the will of God is he understands God's providence. Uh, Notice uh, he says in uh, the first part of uh, 22, for this reason... What reason's that? Well, if you go back and consider last week's message, uh, verses 16, 19, and 21, he keeps on emphasizing that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. For this reason, he says, I also have been much hindered. Uh, the word uh, hindered here is egkaptu, uh, to cut into, to impede, to detain, hinder, be tedious unto. It is used of deep trenches, dug across the road to impede the enemy. So the enemy is marching down the road and they want to get to this particular city, so they dig a big ditch right in the way. So they can't just easily roll into town. They got to get out of their car, fill in the ditch, and you know then they can go. Uh, that's the idea of how it's used. It came to be used commonly for any hindrance. Uh, one might say, Count it all joy when you fall into various encaptos, any ditches in the way. Um, it is the imperfect tense, and it's the passive voice. What on earth does that mean? Well, it indicates a continual hindrance, and because it's passive, it's not something he's doing. It's something that's being done to him, so it's from the outside. And if you're going to be understanding God's providence, then you need to grasp letter C here. Whether because of the evil intent of man or Satan, God is always sovereign in what happens. 
consider with me. Let me just read a few verses for you. Genesis 45, 5 to 8. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. Joseph is speaking to his brothers here because you sold me here. Now notice I put a little bit of a different intonation in there. He goes, don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will neither be plowing or harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt." Did Joseph understand God's providence? Oh boy. How about Job? Chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And of course, you know the story lost flocks, herds, uh, and then 10 kids, all of them. His response, yeah, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Uh, Blessed be the name of the Lord, okay? And uh, just in case that wasn't enough, how about chapter 2? Satan comes back again, then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and, he's, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered, and the Lord said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out, uh, out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face." And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, it is in your hand, but spare his life. Now, I brought both of these in here because I want you to see, uh, whenever you're talking about this conversation between God and Satan, uh, notice who initiates the whole thing. It's God does. He's the one that brings up Job. It's not like Satan's up there saying, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about Job. I'd like to pound on him a little bit. No, no, God's the one that brings it up. And and again, God's providence. And, And... it's interesting because God says, you're the one that forced my hand against him. What do you mean, my hand? It was Satan that did it, yeah. Satan was the tool, the instrument, that's all, okay? And we can, we can sit here in our, on our high horses and think that there's something bad about God because he did this, but no, no. God uses those trials, as we've talked about so many times before, to show us something that's inside of us, to teach us something about Him, to teach us how to trust and walk with Him in spite of situations and problems. Uh, So God is totally good in all of this. And then, of course, 
First uh, Thessalonians two seventeen and eighteen. Just in case you thought that whole uh, God and Satan thing were an Old Testament idea, but we brethren have been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. Endeavored more eagerly, eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. So again, still very active in trying to prevent uh, the work of God. And so therefore, if one is going to be ministering according to the will of God, he needs to understand God's providence. And of course, for this reason, I've also been hindered from coming to you, he says uh, in this verse. Verse 13 of Romans chapter 1, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. So that brings us to uh, letter B, uh, someone who is going to be ministering according to the will of God, uh, needs to uh, consider plans for ministry. It's always good to have so, a certain amount of uh, idea of where we're going and recognize that as we're going, we may go like this, but we're still heading in a direction, okay? So uh, that brings us to verses 23 and 24. Uh, where does Paul find himself at the time? He says, but now no longer uh, I have a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Um, he's basically saying, I, I've done the work in this area, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, and now we're getting to that point where it's time to come and see you. Uh, in Acts 19.21, it says, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit that he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Uh, so this is uh, something that has been part of his plan for a while. Uh, now, what about Paul's future plans? He says, whenever I journey to Spain, uh, Spain is on the far western side of the continent. Uh, he's over here in basically Turkey, heading to Jerusalem, and he's going to have to come back across uh, Turkey uh, through Greece and over into what we would call Europe, France and Spain and that kind of stuff to get there. Uh, Spain is becoming a major center of commerce and culture. And why? Because it's accessible by the Roman roads. I've seen a variety of memes on uh, social media where they show the Roman roads that are still in existence today over in that area. And I've seen pictures of how they actually built them, the various layers of gravel and then stone and then bigger stone on top. And these things will probably last, well, until the Lord's ready to burn it all up. Um, and then right below it is a picture of our roads. If you drive a truck, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you drive a car, it might have a, a nice uh, shock system. But I'm driving my truck home, it's got thudum, thudum, thudum. <laughs> okay, but uh, uh, about 300, uh, 70 B.C., Rome basically takes over the empire. They build roads everywhere. And that's where you get that phrase, all roads lead to Rome, because they basically went out like a, a bicycle tire. And so uh, these roads made every place more accessible. So Spain is starting to grow. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like living in the big city. I actually lived in New York City for a summer, did street evangelism, uh, the whole bit, worked in a rescue mission. Um, yeah, it's nice and exciting if you're young. I guess I'm not young. <laughs> but um, that's where things are happening. That's where people are. So Paul made it his uh, plan to be working in cities. And he worked in cities that were along the main trade routes so that someone gets saved here and they're on the trade route going up to there. Ah, that one's going to get hit. Another one going to the trade route. That, uh, so that's the idea of his ministry. And so he's hoping to go there. Notice, though, number three, Spain was not evangelized until about the third century. Now, the third century is between 200 and 300, okay? So did Paul ever make it to Spain? Doesn't look it, okay? And, of course, the book of Acts, we basically see him in prison. Oh, we don't know if he got out. Some people think he did. Some people actually think he got out there, and maybe he did, uh, but there's nothing in the Bible that tells us. Letter B, uh, he says, Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. And why? For I hope to see you on my journey. Notice, though, if you go back to verse 20, he's not going there to evangelize, but he's going for mutual, mutual edification where we can build one another up. That's the idea there. And he goes on to say, And to be helped on my way there by you. Uh, Philippians 4 uh, Paul writes in his letter that the Philippians had given to help him in ministry a couple of times. And uh, so he's writing Philippians to let him know that, look, I, I can be joyful in whatever my circumstances are. God will take care of all of my needs and strengthen me and all that kind of stuff. And in verse 17, he says, not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. See, Paul understood that when a, a church shared in his financial needs, like the church at Philippi did, that the work that he was doing and was able to do, they were getting some of the credit for in God's accounting system. Uh, so that's how Edgemont thinks about supporting missionaries. Um, I remember when I uh, came back, I believe it was when I came back for, from Brazil, uh, pastor goes, so how did uh, Edgemont do down in Brazil for the last four years? Uh, something along those lines. The idea was you didn't go all by yourself. We were supporting you. You were doing our work there. It's kind of like exactly right on. Okay. And so uh, notice though what he says here, that I may be helped on my way there by you. The word help there is Prompempo, it means to send forward, to escort or aid in travel, a company, to bring forward on a journey, uh, and to conduct forth. It is used of the early church to provide an escort and supplies. Now, I don't know if you all remember the Ford Escort, one of those little itty-bitty front-wheel drive cars, four-cylinder uh, four that get about 80,000 miles, and you'd have to replace the motor. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe not all of them, but... Um, uh, that, that's the idea here, that they're actually going to not only provide money, but maybe provide some people that were going to go with him for a period of time. They might not go all the way to Spain, but they were going to be helping him along the way. 
And then he goes on to say, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Uh, Going back to Romans chapter 1, verse 10 and following, making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established, that is, that I may encourage together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Um, Mike, you've been down to Belize Creek. Is it encouraging to see some brothers and sisters uh, and a church growing? Yeah. And uh, we have a variety of guys that go down there. And uh, they really appreciate the fact that Edgemont Bible Church is ministering to them in this way. And the reality is, is uh, here's Lucky over here. Uh, how many times have you been around and meet new people? And it's kind of like, wow, this is great to see what God's doing here or there or something like that. Uh, so that's the idea there that he's going to visit them for a little while because we can be an encouragement to one another. You know, there is nothing new under the sun, uh, but... Though they're the same problems exist everywhere, God may have helped this person get through this problem this way, and, and then they tell this person, well, here's how God worked it out for me. It's kind of like, wow, cool. I wonder how he's going to do it for me, that kind of a thing. Okay? So that brings us to the third uh, characteristic of the one ministering according to the will of God. First one, he understands God's providence. Uh, second one, he plans for ministry. And then uh, number three, or letter C here, he has straight priorities. Number one, he says, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. And again, uh, Acts 19, 20, and 24, that is uh, speaking of bringing the financial gift uh, to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Back there in Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he's basically been told by the apostles at uh, Jerusalem, uh, please remember the poor. And he says that he was more than happy uh, to do that. Uh, In Ephesians 2.14, notice part of assuring the dividing wall between the Jew and the Gentile that had been broken down in Christ was not built up again, was by the Gentiles participating and helping the Jews at at the time of uh, poverty. And then let us see, he mentions the collection for the saints in 1 Corinthians 16.1, and then in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, he writes the largest New Testament passage on giving. Gives us a lot of principles of what New Testament giving should be like. You know what the first principle is? God's more interested in having your heart than your money. And part of the reason is because none of the money's yours. <laughs> um, People get all hung up on the 10%. It all belongs to him. He doesn't need your money. We give because it's our way of remembering. It's his. And, yes, it does help pay the bills. we got a pretty nice building, pay electricity, uh, heat. I know sometimes you women don't think the heat is up high enough. Or in the summertime, uh, air conditioning. I know sometimes you don't think it's down low enough. I know Jim Beck never thinks it's low enough. So, uh, But uh, <laughs> I think he keeps his house at about 52. You know, just saying. But, uh, you know, bills have to be paid. And, and then, of course, the Scripture talks about paying pastors and stuff like that. I imagine we could be like Paul, go out and get a job. Pastor, you're 
You're a little bit older than I am. Um, you want to work on roofs this summer or mow lawns? It's a thought. <laughs> just a thought, just a thought. <laughs> a passing thought, very, very quickly. <laughs> okay, uh, but uh, again, uh, take a look at that passage to uh, understand what God says about giving uh, for the New Testament believer. Then number two, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, in Second uh, Corinthians 8, 2 through 4, he says that in a great trial of affliction, talking about these two churches uh, or two areas, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would get, receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Uh, th- this was kind of like back in the time when Moses is building the tabernacle, and he says, okay, guys, if you've got this, 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 and this, give as much as the Lord touches your heart for. And they gave, and they gave, and they gave, and finally he says, okay, that's enough, stop. That's the idea that we see here with this, these uh churches in Macedonia and Achaia. It pleased those to make certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Interesting. Didn't know this word was used in this way. But when I first got saved, I was going to a Baptist church up in Clinton, Connecticut, and they had a fellowship group called Koinonia. Everybody wanted to use the Greek term at the time. And Koinonia is basically fellowship, okay? And it's used here for the word contribution, to make a certain fellowship for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Fellowship doesn't really fit. Contribution does. But notice the word here means partnership, participation, or communion or fellowship. Spiritual fellowship through the koinonia of material support. Um, I, I don't know if you've noticed over here, the fence and the ark have been taken down. And there was a couple of piles of wood there. And uh, one of our members said, hey guys, you can bring that out and throw it in my backyard. I'm going to have a bonfire and we'll just burn it all up. Uh, we had already dropped off like three or four trailers full of branches from the trees that we've had to cut down. That's eh, okay, just... Bigger fire, that's all. <laughs> Do you know how much it would have cost to bring those trailers of branches down to St. Louis Composting? I think it's like 65 to $80 per trailer. Uh, one of the trailers is really long. It might have been 100 and something. Who knows? Uh, and then you know what they do? They grind it all up and make compost and sell it to you for $30 a trailer. Uh, so they're making money hand over fist. Uh, so that brother saves us some money. And then I told him that we probably ought to get a hog and uh, not just have a bonfire, but, hey, you're going to do something with that fire, you know, roast a pig. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, he, he saved a lot, a lot of money. Uh, he's proving spiritual love through receiving a physical issue for us. The same kind of thing. Notice it goes on to say, it pleased them indeed. And he goes on to say, and they are debtors. Now, wait a minute. They were happy to do it because they're in debt. I don't know about you, but I don't like being in debt. 
they're not talking financially here. They're happy to do it because they're recognizing the next part. If the Gentiles have uh, been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Uh, you know, every now and again, someone will say, Pastor, why are we worried about Passover? Why are we worried about Pentecost? Those are all Jewish things. And he kindly reminds them, no, they're biblical things. It's God the one that came up with these things, not the Jews. And the reality is, is when we talk about Jewish people, when we talk about supporting Marty Zide over there at Midwestern uh, Midwest Messianic Center or uh, Bridges for Peace uh, over in Israel, uh, which is uh, evangelical churches in America do an awful lot of good ministry through giving to those who understand how to do it over there in uh, Israel. Uh, why do we do that? Because we have an obligation. It, it is through the Jewish people that Christ comes, that the gospel spreads throughout the world. We got saved. You know, it's bing, bing, bing. And so to give back, even in a financial way, most of those people could care less about Christ or could care less about the churches. But somewhere in the rush, the Spirit of God works in a heart here and a heart there. And all of a sudden, a few of them get saved. And let me see, what does it say about one sinner repenting? Yeah, exactly. So uh, you can see how that all comes together. Um, the word here, <coughs> excuse me, uh, they, it is their duty to minister. Uh, we looked at this word last week, uh, letur jeo, uh, to be a public servant, to perform religious or charitable functions, to worship, obey, relieve, to minister. In 1 Corinthians 9, 11, it says, If we have sown spiritual things for you, it is a great thing if we reap your material things. By the way, that's a, a pastor receiving pay for his uh, spiritual work. Uh, sorry, that's just where it is. Galatians 6, 6, uh, Let him who is taught uh, the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Uh, so this is a principle that we see uh, throughout the Scripture. Letter C, when I have performed this, dot, 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 sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. Now, I've purposely left out a little bit there. Uh, we'll see why in a moment. Uh, notice, first of all, as an apostle and as a Jew, he is saying what he's saying here. By delivering this gift, he would have been confirming the love and gratitude of the Gentiles for the Jews. See, there's always been, throughout the Old Testament, even into the beginnings of the church, this animosity between Jewish people, God's chosen people, and Gentiles. Well, when the church starts suffering some persecution... They actually start doing what God said, go ye therefore, or you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. Yes, here in Jerusalem, and in Judah, and Samaria. Uh, those are the people you don't really like. They're, they live close to you. Uh, called your neighbors. Uh, <laughs> and to the uttermost part of the earth. So the idea was the gospel's got to go out. Well, under persecution, Acts chapter 8, it finally starts going out. 
Well, somewhere in the rush, you get past Samaria, and what do you find? Gentiles. Oh, wait a minute. It was bad enough getting Samaria uh, saved. We don't, we don't want Gentiles. Yeah, God did. You can go all the way back to Deuteronomy and see that God has already had a plan that includes the Gentiles. You, you get into the prophet Isaiah, one of the, not only the biggest Old Testament book, but one of the most highly regarded by Jewish people. It is full of areas that say, yeah, you guys are going to be a light to the Gentiles. And if you're not going to be, I'm sending a branch and he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. Oh, so it's always been part of God's plan. And so when Gentiles start getting saved, you know, some of the Jewish people are sitting there saying, I don't know, this is like uh, the second temple. It wasn't as good as the first one. And, uh, but still, oh, you mean those guys, they, they provided this money for our poor people? Wow, something's happened. Something's changed. Uh, that's the idea there. So, number four, the fourth characteristic, uh, letter D, uh, of the one that is ministering according to the will of God, he understands his abundance. He goes on to say, but I know. Now, when, when he says I know, he's not putting on airs or anything like that. He's, he's very confident. Uh, he's reflecting an absolute assurance I know that I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Um, The idea here is, look, I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. I know ultimately that God wants me to go there. So when I get there, I know I'm going to be in God's will. I'm walking in obedience. I'm happy about it. There's not a problem here, okay? Uh, Notice, the joy of walking in full obedience brings hardship and suffering. Huh? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Joy of walking in obedience brings hardship and suffering. Well, uh, how about Second uh, Timothy three twelve? Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Did Paul suffer any persecution? Oh, yeah, all kinds of it. But he still was able to say, "I'm coming to Rome, and I'm I'm very happy about this whole thing." Okay, uh, it also brings the furtherance of the gospel. In Philippians one twelve through fourteen, he says, "But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me that I have that have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole play, palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ." And most of the brethren in the Lord, have, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And then verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, in other words, people preaching the gospel to get Paul in more trouble, or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice." So, walking in full obedience, yes, it brings hardship and suffering, but it also brings the furtherance of the gospel, and it brings the peace of God. Okay? Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through uh, Christ Jesus. Now, remember, what are we talking about here? We're talking about walking in full obedience. If you're going to experience the peace of God that passes all understanding— there's a couple of verses before it. There's a couple of verses after it. So you've got to be doing those things. 
and you get to experience that peace. Uh, how about uh, verse 12 of the same chapter? I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things that I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then verse 19, he can have peace. Why? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So uh, walking, the joy of walking in full obedience, yes, he experiences joy, but he also experiences hardship, the furtherance of the gospel, and the peace of God. So that brings us to letter E. Uh, He has a clear purpose in verse 30. He says, Now I beg you, brethren. So this is the introduction to the following exhortation. Okay? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, through, uh, one of your versions might say by, it's basically equal to on behalf of. I beg you, brethren, on the behalf of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's purpose to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 9:23 says, "Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you." Therefore, uh, chapter 10 verse 31, "Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God." So everything he's doing is uh the gospel's sake for the glory of God. Um that is his purpose. He goes on to say, and through the love of the Spirit. So, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. Hmm. That phrase is only used here in the whole of the New Testament. Okay? So, what does he mean? Well, there's two possible interpretations. First of all, the love of the Spirit toward the world. You know, uh, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked would turn from his wicked way and live, right? Um, God is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So you can see where God has a loving orientation towards all, okay? We can talk about his hate for the wicked and all that kind of stuff on another uh, passage, but here we're seeing... One possible interpretation is Holy Spirit, being God, is going to have that same kind of love towards mankind. Uh, Second interpretation, the love that Paul has for the Spirit. Well, let's consider uh, King David. Psalm 143, verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your Spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Now, Whenever you see someone talking about God being good, do you think he's sitting there with disgust? Oh, your spirit is good. Or because he's experienced the work of the spirit in his life, he's saying, wow, your spirit is good. Yeah, I think that's probably what he's saying here. And, and so you'd say that David's, we say feelings, because that's how we identify love. Love's an action, okay? But if you're going to talk about feelings, David's feelings towards the Spirit would be one of love and appreciation, okay? Well, I think that that's basically what this context is going to be showing here, where Paul's orientation is going to be a love for the Spirit, 
It is the Spirit of God that has enabled him to go through all that he's gone through and finally get to this point where he can uh, keep the Gentile church and the, and the Jewish church bound together and then get to go to Rome on top of that. Uh, it's the Spirit of God that's done that. So when, when he says, uh, through the love of the Spirit, he's most likely talking about his love uh, for the Spirit. So he has a clear purpose to glorify God and to love the Spirit of God. Letter F, uh, our prayers. Now, when I say our, uh, he's talking about his and the Roman church. Uh, But this would be true of us and missionaries and uh, pastors, etc. Verses 30b through 32, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a selfish prayer. Hey, guys, I want you to pray with me for me. No, that's not a selfish prayer. Uh, We know that Paul's the one that's on the front line. Okay? Uh, And the word uh, for strive together there is uh, soon, which is the idea of together with, agonizomai. Now, that's not exactly how you say it in the Greek, but I wanted to say it in an English word that you would understand. Agonize. So when he says, strive together with me, is this going to be easy? No, that, that's the idea here. Okay? Uh, the word here means to struggle in company with, to be a partner, to strive together with. And prayer is often a battle. Uh, I saw a video here recently where the guy says, you ever notice whenever you sit down to read the Word of God or to pray, all of a sudden everything that's not important comes to your mind? Now, some of those things are things that you know you got to get done that day. One of the best things you can do is have a little pad there. Oh, yeah, I'll write it down. We'll get back to that. Okay, Lord, oh, there, there it is again. You write it down. We'll get back to that. Now, it may take five minutes before your brain calms down enough where you can just talk to God or just spend some time in His Word, but that's because it's a battle. Remember, we are in a spiritual war, and the enemy knows if you're in communication with headquarters, man, you're going to be able to bring in reinforcements. You can call in a bomb uh, you know, raid or whatever the case is uh, and take care of business. And so he doesn't want you to do that because, again, it is work. Notice uh, what Paul says in Colossians 2, 1 to 4. He says, For I want you to know that what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches for the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of the Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with pervasive words. Or in chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now, uh, the verse 12 here with Epaphras praying, that one's really easy to see. It, laboring, you know. But what about the first one? Did you hear some of the things that he was praying for those people? That they would... Uh, 
their hearts would be encouraged, uh, that they'd be knit together in love, attaining to the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge, I mean, he goes on and on and on, that they would really grasp who God is, what he's got for them. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, If you're praying for me or if I'm praying for you, you know, how much do you know? I don't know. Uh, What do you need to know? Well, I might be able to make some guesses on some of that, but, you know, God sure does. But if I don't have a clue as to verses 1 through 4 here, what am I thinking God's going to do for you? So now, if I'm going to really labor in prayer for you, I've got to know him really good. So, uh, obviously, Paul did. Uh, The second thing that he uh, asked for prayer for here is safety. He goes, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.2, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. So this, again, was a regular situation for him. Third thing that he asked prayer about is success, uh, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Again, referring back to verse 25 where he's bringing that gift in. He wants that gift to be uh, recognized by the Jewish people or the Jewish Christians that, hey, the Gentiles love us. This is great stuff. Hallelujah. Okay? And so he wants it to be acceptable to them. And then the fourth thing is satisfaction. That I may come to you with joy, being refreshed together with you, by the will of God. Okay? So notice uh, this concept of by the will of God. Well, according to all of those verses you see under letter I, he is an apostle by the will of God. Can I tell you that I am a pastor here at Edgemont Bible Church by the will of God? Okay? A uh, pastor has been a pastor here for 172 years by the will. Well, maybe not that long. Three, 173 years, <laughs> uh, by the will of God. Uh, what was that? He's not counting. He's not counting. <laughs> uh, the, the reality is, is pastor got snookered to come here. Right, pastor? <laughs> That's one way of saying it. Um, if that doesn't help you understand that the will of God, whether you like it or not, it's, it's a good place to be. <laughs> Okay, Um, notice um, number two here. Uh, He is dedicated to doing and encouraging others to also do that. Uh, In Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, people get all caught up in, is that a one-time thing? I find that, uh, you know, like, as often as you need to is probably a good idea. Because every now and again, the living sheep crawl off of the altar. Uh, We seem to think that for some reason, there's still something out there that's worth living for. And Christ says, look, if you're going to follow me, you're going to deny yourself, take up your cross, and uh, follow me. Uh, So uh, do it as often as necessary. Now, the way it's written in the Greek, maybe it's only one time thing. I don't care. Okay? Again, having crawled off the altar a few times, get back up on it. 
Okay? Uh, so I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto uh, him. Uh, a lot of people uh, talking about the revival, and it's not just happening down in Asbury. Apparently, Cedarville has had uh, some kind of a movement going on over there and a couple of other places. And, uh, you know, the first question is, is, is it real? Well, first of all, it's not for you to worry about, Okay. Uh, second of all, if it is, uh, it's going to have enduring work in some of those hearts. Uh, I guarantee you, wherever God's working, the devil's doing his little stuff too. And I'm sure there's some emotional responses that later on those people are going to fall away. Why? The sower and the soils. Okay? But if God is doing the work, then there's going to be change. There's going to be some holy living that's going to come out of this. And hallelujah, stop worrying about whether or not it's real. Let God be God. Amen? Okay, so uh, he goes on to say, And don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed. This is the will of God. Be transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God in whatever situation you find yourself in. Uh, how about Ephesians 5.17? It says, uh, there it is. Therefore, do not be unwise. Wow, is that some good counsel? Uh, just look around at what the world is doing in this day and age. Do not be unwise. Don't be like them. Uh, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Or chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So Paul is dedicated to doing the will of God, and he was also uh, dedicated to encouraging others to do the will of God also. And of course, that brings us to verse 33, a benediction. He says, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. God is the source of peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Philippians 4, 9, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, it is also the peace that passes understanding, as we already looked at Philippians 4, 7. Uh, he has already, in this chapter, referred to God as the God of patience and comfort in verse 5, and then in verse 13, the God of hope, and then here, the God of peace. I don't know about you, but I have no problem with any of those four. The God of patience, he has been patient with me. You ever feel as though, hey, you know, maybe I'm just not that smart? You know, especially when it comes to the spiritual stuff. Um, he's patient. He knows our frame that we're dust, okay? Uh, comfort. He's the God of all comfort, Paul says, and he comforts me in all my tribulation so that I might be able to comfort someone else who's going through their stuff. He's the God of hope. I don't know about you, but uh, think back with me to Abraham. Uh, Abraham is told, you know, in the time of life, uh, I'm going to come back and you're going to have a son. <laughs> That's a good one, Lord. <laughs> you can just imagine him. He chuckled a little bit. 
And uh, then Sarah heard it, and of course she laughed, and, and guess what they got to call the kid? Laughter. Yeah, uh, a little ironic there, huh, God? But uh, he, he tells him that, and in uh, Romans chapter 4, it says, he wavered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he's able to do. He's 99 years old. Next year, you're going to have a kid. Okay. No, no, he didn't say okay. He said, okay, God said it. Good enough for me. You know, that's the idea here that we all need to remember. He is the God of hope. Uh, when, when I see some of the news bulletins about China's buying up our farmland, uh, they're investing in Joe Biden and the universities, I mean, uh, it, uh, various things like that. Uh, what's what's going to happen? There's not going to be a red dawn, you know. But uh, And then you see where our politicians are going. It's kind of like, oh, Lord, we're all going to go down with the ship. He's the God of hope. This isn't what we need to worry about. We need to continue to look to him and minister, understanding. Here's the characteristics. Understand his providence. Uh, let me just look at them again here. Um, be, uh, be planning in your ministry. Um, get your priorities straight, okay? And I'm doing this without my glasses. Understand uh, how good you got it. God is so good to us. And then uh, have a clear purpose. And of course, pray. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, close our evening together and we thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of uh, Paul. And we do recognize, Lord, that truly you have called us to a great purpose, to walk with you and to shine as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. I know I've been saying that verse for a long time, and it has become so evident that we truly do walk in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. You've asked us to consecrate you in our hearts so that we might live in such a way that people are going to see the difference. We need to be ready to defend uh, the reason that we have for the hope that is in us. Uh, I don't find that to be difficult, Lord, but I do ask that you would give each of us wisdom in the circumstances that we find ourselves with the gifting and the abilities that you've given to each one of us as individuals that we might not only shine as lights, but be able to give that answer and point people to you for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.